I came to Master in 48. That was 44 years ago. <clears throat> it seems to probably most of you like a long time. To me it seems like yesterday. And although I mentioned earlier I always would have liked not to have to lecture, that aspect of my nature is well balanced and compensated for by the fact that I love to share. And what I love to share is his teachings, his philosophy, his vibration if possible to the extent that he allows me to be a channel for that. Because he's no longer with us and yet he's with all of us. To me his reality is not something that ended in, on March 7th, 1952 when he left his body. His reality is today. I feel him with me all the time. I see him in many of you. That reality that he brought into the world was not a historic event, although it was also that. It was a new vibration, a new dispensation that will last for a long, long time, perhaps forever on this planet. Just as all the great saints who ever lived are still living. In fact, there's a very interesting example of that that uh, <clears throat> springs to mind of a book that I discovered in India called the Book of Brigu, which is a, uh, an Brigu is an ancient saint. Master tells a story about him in uh, his lessons about his humility and how uh, through his humility um, Krishna called him the saint of all saints. In the Bhagavad Gita he's called, Among Saints I am Brigu. And uh, he wrote a book of prophecies, at least he's supposed to have written them. And uh, a number of people have gone there, including myself, and found things about themselves, very specific names, etc. But uh, one man told me a really interesting story. That uh, he went, he, he's an Indian who lives in Los Angeles, went back to India and visited this book of Brigu. And during the reading it said, while this is being read, there will be a thunderclap. And there was absolutely a blue sky. Right at that moment there was a loud thunderclap. And uh, it makes you think that uh, those saints who lived thousands of years ago, they're just as alive today. They can be just as active in people's lives whenever we come onto this planet in time because they are beyond time. And that's how Master is, beyond time. One time, Sister, uh, Louise Royston, she was a uh, an older disciple, looked something like a rabbit, uh, sort of a little fuddy-duddy. Master used to say about all the people who would find freedom, uh, salvation in this life, and he'd look out the window, I remember him at the desert looking out the window and saying, even she, and uh, he said, you know, she was even uglier when she came. <laughs> it was, you know, he was so human. <laughs> And yet, so, so full of love, so kind. In all his dealings, you were dealing with a God-man and a man-God, and you couldn't tell which was which. There was this lovely story, I think I've mentioned it in my book, The Path, of uh, how he went out to a shop. He had a little collection of umbrellas. He used to collect things more to keep his, bo his mind down to the body than for anything else. It didn't, umbrellas couldn't mean much to him after all. Somebody who could roam around the astral, but, uh, or the universe uh, in God. But uh, he bought this 
umbrella. And he haggled the man down because he felt, well, he was representing a spiritual work. He should get the best price possible. He should be practical. <laughs> and so he knocked him down to the best price he possibly could. And then, having gotten this, this absolute bargain, gave him twice as much money as the man asked for. <laughs> and the man said, oh, you're a gentleman. And he gave him his best umbrella. And Master came back, and I remember him saying, and he said, uh, that was an awfully poor rug he had in his shop. I think I'll buy him a new rug. <laughs> but this kind of sweetness that uh, was under, uh, under all the, after all, he was a, a conqueror, too. He was a man who had to build a great work. He was very, very strong and dynamic. But underneath that, there was this lovely sweetness of nature that pervaded everything that he did. You could always, sometimes he'd have to scold us. I know when he scolded me, I look in, I'd look into his eyes and I'd see that look of regret in his eyes that if only he didn't have to scold me, but I needed it. Made me feel bad for making him scold me. <laughs> there was a delightful story of, uh, that one of, the, my, uh, one of the monks there told me that he was sitting in, in a room, this third floor, floor interview room upstairs, and there was a nun sitting at one end of the room, and this monk was sitting at the other end, a room not quite this long, but a fairly large room. And uh, Master was giving this, this nun a good scolding. And he'd think that he was really angry. But he was only trying to impress this thought on her. And every time he turned his back to her and was facing this monk, he'd break into a smile and wink and then turn back like this. <laughs> but he had this kind of, of control that made it uh, possible for him to switch from one to another. Why? Basically because he wasn't even there. That was the other thing that amazed me when I look at him. He wasn't there. He was everywhere. You weren't looking into the eyes of a person with a personality. And when people talk about him and his personality, I realize they haven't really understood. He did have a personality in the sense of something he had to assume. You have to function with something, after all. But it wasn't a personality because there was no personal likes or dislikes. He had no thought that I like this or I like that. Some people like to eat mangoes because the master loved mangoes. Well, yeah, he loved mangoes, but also he couldn't have cared less about them. He liked everything. What could he not like? 